Just like that, the final hour is here on the Wednesday edition. Clay Travis will be with us in roughly 20 minutes. Looking forward to chatting with him about his conversation with Stephen A. Podcast, where they got into a variety of topics. Clay will do the same with us. It's coming up this hour. Chad, the headline in the NFL, as we're about one week away, finally, the NFL draft is nearly here. Um, we could see Trey Lance traded potentially. They have, the 49ers have fielded calls. They've been fielding calls with teams interested for the young quarterback that Shanahan and Lynch and company traded two future first round picks and a third round pick to Miami to move up in the 2021 draft to pick up number three overall to draft Lance. And we've barely seen him. He started four games. He's appeared in eight games. He's completed 55% of the passes he's attempted in those games. Five touchdown passes to three interceptions. I mean, we, we have really no baseline to judge what we've seen from him versus the talent that they invested in. And let's be honest, a lot of the perception of Trey Lance is the coach who drafted him with Kyle Shanahan, which makes me think, surely they're not parting ways with him this quickly. I, Brock Purdy's their starter. And yes, they've signed Sam Darnold for a year. But to just trade away Trey Lance for a second or third round pick this quickly, that is a steal for a team that could be looking to not just develop but put him behind a veteran who is going to be out the door soon. There are a couple of examples of that. Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, there, there are plenty, maybe Tua. You start going through the list of teams that I think make sense, and it's like half the league, as crazy as it sounds. He could start in Houston. He could start in Indianapolis. He could be the heir to Lamar Jackson, depending on how things go in Baltimore. Just at... Washington, there's so many different examples of where Trey Lance is worth a second or third round pick for the opportunity to see what he could do. And I think they're crazy for trading him for that based on the little example that we have of him on the field. He's coming off the injury. He had his second surgery on the ankle in December. And according to he and the, the reports from the 49ers, the expectation is he's fully cleared to play very soon participate in OTAs very soon. And who knows if Brock Purdy is going to be cleared to play week one based on the elbow recuperation. He could Lance could be their starter week one in San Francisco. Doesn't mean they, they want him to be. I think they want Purdy to be. They've all but said, like, they've been definitive. Brock Purdy, yeah, he's the starter based on the way we finished the season. I don't blame teams for calling. I would just blame the 49ers for trading Lance this early. And I, I can see um, – I look at the 49ers organization and Kyle Shanahan specifically and think this isn't a guy that's going to give up on someone so quickly with without him. such limited game involvement to see. They've seen him in practice, seen him in camps, but they haven't had a chance to see him play in games yet. If the belief was that high to trade up to get him and give up what they did to trade up to take him, it doesn't feel right that they would be two years later ditching the guy for a, a third-round pick, let's say. Now, the other side of my brain says, if anyone had the courage to just say, yeah, I, 
I think we can do better. It's Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan seems to have an offense that's QB-proof right now. They can plug in any number of guys and have success offensively. And a roster. Right. And so if he's a guy that can look at that and say, well, what I saw from Brock Purdy is better, and I think we can move on from Trey Lance, I get the sense, my my gut feeling is, no, they're going to hold on to him. Because they, there was a reason they traded up to get him. And we haven't seen enough bad yet from Trey Lance because we haven't seen really anything. Anything, yeah. And, and also keep in mind, like, he hasn't played a full season since 2019. The 2020 season for him at North Dakota State, he played one game because the season was cut. And then we saw him in very limited action his rookie season. And, of course, last year he's injured in week two after what was an awful showing in Chicago – some of its conditions, but again, it was Justin Fields and Trey Lance, and uh, it was awful in, in that too. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm with you. We haven't seen enough. This is also, isn't this also an example of, for all the hate that may come from a team not deciding not to trade up in this draft for one of these quarterbacks, Chad? Isn't this an example of why you wouldn't do that? In this same draft, Mac Jones fell to New England, and they didn't move a spot. And they drafted him at 15. When many thought that Shanahan was moving up to draft Mac Jones at three. Turns out that teams are picking up the phone, calling to see if Lance is available. And the way the tweet was worded from Rappaport, it just, it's, it seems like it's coming directly from San Francisco. Saying that we're not calling teams, they're calling us. But it's not directly sourcing the 49ers. But the way it's worded makes it come across as though they're he's not protecting it's worded to to overlap any any hesitation that lance could have to think wait they're shopping me that's not how it was worded and i think that's significant given the fact that we've gone from oh he's on the market teams are calling to oh what would it take to get him and it spurred this conversation where teams are considering it and while Brock Purdy was a great story and did a terrific job for San Francisco, I'm not handing my franchise over to Brock Purdy yet based on that. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I mean, I, I, look, there's reasons to believe he can be your starter, no doubt, but in that short sample size, I'm still not saying, oh, he's the guy. He's definitely better than Trey Lance. Well, and also, just based on last year and the quarterbacks they went through, wouldn't you be hesitant to trade away Lance given the fact that Purdy's hurt. Lance is coming off injury. And you've got Darnold, who, I mean, he's on a one-year prove-it contract, but you really don't want to play him unless you absolutely have to. Well, and if it, here's the thing. If we're saying, boy, there's these teams, and you ran through them, that they this could be an upgrade at quarterback if Trey Lance comes could, in. Yeah, it's worth the, the 49ers are thinking the exact same thing. Why would we give up and give away someone for very little that could be a huge upgrade for us? The only way you give that up is if you're getting a first-round pick in return. Like they, they, you don't just hand over Trey Lance for a third round pick. Someone was, I was listening to someone say that. I think there's no way that you have the, the hand picked quarterback by Shanahan in 2021 traded for a third round pick in 2023, where we've seen him appear in four games. And half of it's because they chose to do it that way with Jimmy G. Completely agree. Um, we're not going to see Draymond Green against the the Kings. He's been suspended for a game. Chad, I don't see the controversy with this. Uh, the track record and the 
the storyline and the saga of Draymond Green follows him now in incidents like this, where even though you can have a player grab a hold of his foot, it's worthy of a suspension based on the entire litany of events and, I mean, YouTube videos, as you pointed out earlier, of what we can find with Draymond Green doing something to receive a technical, an ejection, or a suspension. Well, the only uh, the controversy is that it's not multiple games to me. Um, if, if you wanted to say, okay, three games is too much, two more games is too much, that's fine. This is what should have happened. It's, is it the end of the world what he did? You know, did he maim DeMontis Sabonis with this kick to the sternum? No. Do I think it's a little bit overblown that he did a you know, MRI or, or whatever he did and found that he had a bruised sternum and now he's listed as questionable for a game that we all know he's going to play in? Yes, a little bit over the top. Yes. Did DeMontis Sabonis grab his leg? Yeah. Uh, is Draymond Green so uncoordinated and lacks so much balance, like he claims, that he had nowhere to go but to kick him in the chest on his way up the court? Of course not. Don't be fooled by this. He's a dirty player. He has been for a long time. This is kind of his M.O. He's a good player. He does a lot of things well for, for Golden State. For a number of guys would not want to do these things, right? This is not the most glamorous role that he's in, and he's played that role well. He also plays the role of villain well, and he plays the role of cheap shot artist well. He's done it time and time again, and even in the NBA statement, they said this is a culmination of everything he's done in his career. It's yet another strike against him, and for that reason, the ejection in that game in the fourth quarter is not enough. He's going to sit this next game as well. I think it's the right call. What does it mean for the Warriors? I think it means they're about to get swept. And then they, I think in they're this series. maybe doing that. Can I go anyway. on a limb right now and say that both the Lakers and the Kings are sweeping? The Grizzlies and the Warriors. Now, if the Warriors go out and look great and win without Draymond Green, I mean, they've won without him before. It can't happen. And the Grizzlies have played well without Morant as they well. Were Eight and four, I want to say. Yeah, this but year I mean, it's him? not. It, you wouldn't. I would think it would. No, it's good. It was a winning record, is my point. Yeah, I would think it'd be it like five hundred or something at, at best, and it's the opposite of that. I'm calling it doubling up, two sweeps. John Morant, uh, game time decision. I, I I understand why you would play him in a series where you're trying to get the win at home, and it's L.A. and they they're finally healthy. Um, I also understand why you don't because you've got the gap in between the game tonight in the game the weekend and you give him the extra rest but if you go down 0-2 um, I don't know if, if I'm, I'm with you it feels detrimental to both teams down 0-2 yeah and it lose tonight and I, I feel really good about this sweet pro proclamation and or losing the next game they play when do they play tonight is late no then Saturday after tonight, tonight. is Lakers Grizzlies because it's the three-day layoff yes and then oh Tomorrow, just go every tomorrow other day. is the Warriors. Uh, but just teams. imagine how clean it would be. I know there's like an official start date of the NBA Finals they're they're aiming for, but how clean it would be if if that first. By the way, NBA playoffs this weekend, best rating since 2003 for the opening weekend. I think the scene in Sacramento had a lot to do with that. Yep. Uh, LeBron playing on Sunday afternoon against Memphis had a lot to do with that. But that's good news for the NBA that the playoff ratings, at least with a bad regular season from a ratings perspective. There's an uptick in the playoffs. Start half the games on Saturday, the other half on Sunday. 
The games that start on Saturday, it's going to go Saturday, Monday, mm-hmm. Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Games that start on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Sa- See how that works? One day in between each game, very clean. You're going to have half the games played on each day and roll through the playoffs that way. Yeah, they just want those finals in June. Got to all- get that June start. Got to get those ratings in June. I finished the Bill Russell documentary on Netflix. Yeah. And it's amazing to see Game 7s of the NBA Finals played on May 7th. Uh, they're all like, May, like uh, Cinco and de Mayo. One, and Game 1 was played on May 1st. Uh, Cinco de Mayo that was, was the site of a lot of Lakers-Celtics Game 7s of the NBA Finals. It is crazy to know that we're sitting here on April 19th and we won't crown a champion in the league until June. It's a, it's a long haul. It is long. It is Same amazing. for the NHL, when you, by the way. When you get into the playoffs and you start, you know, you're watching the games, it feels like light years ago that it began. I think the NCAA tournament that way, too. That's three weeks that it happens. But, like, the first round, that first Thursday, feels like an eternity ago because of all the games and all the teams being put out and all the upsets that happened leading up to that championship Monday. Chad, coming up, Clay Travis is going to join us. A lot to discuss with his conversation he had with Stephen A. Smith. By the way, this conversation has started a conversation. Yeah, which I think is very important and a, and a good thing. I've seen so many people from different walks of media and sports media commenting on this, good and bad, and it's mostly good. It's mostly people saying, hey, it's amazing what happens when you get two people that have different opinions, smart people get together and have a conversation. Or you it can come out like this. You have a preconceived notion about Clay or Stephen A., and when you hear them together, it changes the perception Changed of it for me. one or both. And I don't, well, especially with Stephen A. I've never disliked Stephen A. Smith because of any of his political opinions. I just don't like the on-screen persona, right? Of what, but in this interview, I come out of it liking him a lot more with how he questioned Clay and how the conversation went. I thought it was terrific. We'll get Clay's reaction to it next on Hot Mike. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Hutton Withrow, Hot Mike on Outkick and live at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, it's almost uh, 5 o'clock. We'll be cheersing soon. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and that somewhere will be here in 40 minutes. Exactly. Hopefully be uh, cheersing with Clay Travis soon as well. He joins us now uh, via phone. Clay, hope things are well, man. And... Um, I'm sure you've you've received the same type of feedback, and your phone's been blowing up. But everyone I've talked to that's listened to the podcast with Stephen A. that you joined that that launched and debuted on Monday has it's they've had rave reviews. It's been a great reaction to it. Yeah, I, I I've been uh, I thought you know we taped that, and I thought it went well, um, and I thought that people would enjoy it. Uh, but I think the feedback has been even better. Uh, than I anticipated. And one big part of it, I would say, in general, is I I think the overwhelming uh, response, and I think this is really kind of upset the uh, woke sports universe that is so active on social media, is there is a desperate demand, I think, for people to leave their silos and actually talk to people they may disagree with sometimes. I know, shocker. Um, And certainly, that's something that I'm very uh, willing to do. 
but I give credit to Stephen A for uh, uh, for having me on, and I thought the conversation went well. And like I said, uh, you know, I don't know how many people have listened, but the feedback has certainly been uh, has certainly been very positive. You know, like uh, if I've certainly listened to podcasts with like you and Portnoy, for instance, and I know you guys will know each other well behind the scenes. Did did you know or have you hung out with Stephen A behind the scenes at all, or was this the first time you chatted with him? No, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with him. Um, I've not met him behind the scenes that I'm aware of uh, to even shake hands. Um, so I do not have a negative relationship with him or anything like yeah, that. Right. But, um, but I didn't know him at all uh, prior to uh, to sitting down and having the conversation. Yeah, and I think, Chad, that, that goes to what we were discussing yesterday about this. It, it comes across that way as a conversation instead of an argument, which most people aren't willing to do. Well, we'll get into some of the negative uh, responses to this interview, Clay. But I thought overwhelmingly the responses I've seen from people in media, not just sports media, but media in general to this has been, hey, look what happens when two smart people get together on different sides and with different opinions and just have a conversation. You know, there could actually be something productive that comes out of it. And that was my big takeaway from it. I left this podcast interview liking Stephen A. Smith more than I had before. And it has nothing to do with his political opinions. I just didn't like his persona on air. But I thought it was great, you guys talking about the business and everything else together. Um, and I think most people have had a positive response. Is, has that been your interpretation of the response to it? Yeah, I think it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and, and that's just not just my impression. I mean, if you go on, um, you know, not that I'm uh, someone who pays that much attention to comments, uh, but if you go on, for instance, the Stephen A. Smith YouTube page, I don't know how many you guys may be able to pull it up in front of me in front of you right now because he shared the link, but you can you know see everybody commenting on YouTube, and I actually went through uh, the comments I think yesterday um, and and looked at them and they were like I don't know a hundred and some odd comments and every single one of them were was positive, and that's not my page right like that's not the uh, the Outkick page where you would not be surprised right if you're an Outkick subscriber on YouTube which you should be. Uh, and if you haven't, you should click the like button and uh, go subscribe. But if you're an Outkick subscriber on YouTube, it's not a surprise that you would like our content and that the comments would be very favorable. Uh, but these are comments for his YouTube page, right? Because that's where the interview posted, not on ours. Um, and uh, and the comments were all, like I said, like not just uh, you know somewhat favorable. I think they were like 100 to zero, all favorable, basically. Um, and also I think in general, if there were a lot of people that had negative takes on the conversation, I think I would have seen them, right. Um, you know, just kind of ricocheting around the internet and, uh, I may have missed it, but I haven't seen anybody with any kind of substantial audience, uh, actually reacting to it in a negative way. And Chad, just to further his point, first comment on the, the video now, all the people who are mad at Stephen A for bringing him on are the exact people who need to hear this interview. Uh, that's dead on, 100% First accurate. Comment. And Clay, that, that's one of my big takeaways from this. I haven't seen a lot of criticism about things actually said in the podcast. Just the mere fact that Stephen A. Smith would dare to have you on his podcast has been the criticism. This guy from Awful Announcing, uh, that's uh, citing uh, sources, I think, inside the ESPN building that are upset that Stephen A. Smith uh, had you on his podcast. What's your reaction when you see a, a tweet like that 
saying that people at ESPN are upset with Stephen A. Smith? Well, I just I always think it's weak when you aren't willing to put your own name behind your own opinion, right? Um, and people can have a variety of opinions. Uh, you know, I'm a marketplace of ideas, First Amendment absolutist. So I'm totally fine with people who are like, I hate Clay Travis. I think he's the worst human being who's ever lived. Like, you can have that opinion. It's not really going to impact my life in any way. Um, but own it, right? Like, actually put your name behind it as opposed to sort of quietly in the event that these conversations actually occur. Oh, I'm going to go talk to somebody who has. Uh, a sports media website and try to get him to talk about how bad this is. Right. I just, I don't like anonymous sources in general. I only really am willing to even accept them when it's like, okay, uh, I can see why you might want to uh, might need to be an anonymous source because there, because there could be extreme consequences to you if your name came out. Right. Uh, but by and large, I'm very anti it. I've never been an anonymous source anywhere. So what I say is is what I believe. And um, and so I think that's just cowardly in general to uh, to adopt that method of uh, of attack. And then also, we don't even know if it's true. Right. Um, sure. Because uh, the fact that you talk to three people privately um, and if they're not willing to put their actual name behind it, how much do they actually believe it? But also, when you cite anonymous sources, you're really just saying, hey, you have to trust me. I've really got people who are telling me this. So I think it's a failure both on the cowardice of the person who is requesting, by and large, anonymity, but also on uh, the idea that you have to trust the person, that they're not just totally making it up and just sharing their opinion and attributing it to someone else. Claire, are you going to have Stephen A. on, on your show? Yeah, I think that was the plan. I mean, during yeah. the course of uh, the podcast, I mean, I haven't gone back and listened to it since I did it, but I know when we were taping, you know, we talked about basically what I called a home and home, uh, bringing him on and, and interviewing him to allow him to share more of his opinions, you know, because sometimes when you interview, you're allowing the, the guest to, to share their perspective uh, more so than you're really, uh, you know, kind of sharing your own. We got an interesting little inflection point going on right now at ESPN. And I noticed this when Sam Ponder and Sage Steele started showing up in my mentions, arguing with people about Leah Thomas and about protecting yeah. women's sports and about Riley Gaines. And I thought, well, that's that's interesting. You know, Sam Ponder had the, the tweet about it. She's taken a step further now and retweeted video of Leah Thomas talking about the need to protect women's sports and keep biological men out of women's sports. We've seen ESPN stance on a lot of this, Clay, and they continue to do it and promote Leah Thomas and all this. How do you think this turns out? Is someone going to say an L. Duncan, as an example, is someone going to say something and speak out about Sam Ponder or Sage Steele? I, I think it's a fascinating question for ESPN um, because overwhelming majorities of sports fans, which are ostensibly the base of ESPN, don't think that dudes should be able to identify as women and win women's championships. And let me just uh, take it out of the world of trans uh, issues for a moment. How old is the little uh, the girls' softball team that you coach? It's eight, eight under, eight U. Eight U. So if you showed up with a twelve-year-old girl uh, and put her on your softball team. How do you think the parents would react at your next game? 
they would be mad. Clay, there's one girl who has developed quicker than others that's a, a bigger, taller girl that we have to tell the other parents. Like, she is of age. You know, she turned nine after yeah. December 31st. Just so you know, when she gets up and back, and she rakes. So to answer your question, they would be extremely pissed if I brought a twelve-year-old into play. <laughs> every every mom and dad, every grandma and grandpa, would fear for the lives of their daughters, family member. Yep. Yeah, but they would say this violates the fundamental precept of coaching AU softball. What you're buying into is all of these girls are around the same age, roughly. You know, within the same calendar year, whatever the rule is. And therefore, that allows more even competition. And so if you bring somebody in who has a substantial advantage based on age or any other factor like that, everybody would react and say, this is unacceptable. So I, I, I just I, I come back to this all the time. This is not a difficult call, right? The idea that a boy, a fully grown uh, man who has been through puberty should be able to compete against women because he identifies as women is 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 bonkers. And I, I think on its face, you can just look at the size. Men are bigger, stronger, and faster than women. And if you didn't divide sports, women would never win anything. I mean, that's why we divide sports, because not only would they not win anything, hardly any women would even be capable of making a male sports team or just say a unisex sports team. Uh, so I think many parents out there innately get this, and I think there's a tiny cadre of what I would call woke sports media that are trying to defend this. I would imagine even at ESPN, the vast majority of employees there, uh, regardless of what their politics are, would agree with Sam Ponder and would agree with, uh, with Sage Steele about, uh, uh, about this situation and believe that women's athletics should be made up of women. Well, but, you know, L. Duncan also had a moment of silence during the women's NCAA tournament because of, of a bill passed in Florida. Yeah, and, uh, and honestly, I think that's even more indefensible because, to me, there is a difference, and I've argued this for years, there's a difference between you on your social media platform sharing whatever political opinions you have. And remember, this is when I had my First Amendment and boobs moment with CNN. People forget, and I talked about it on Stephen A's podcast, but I was actually defending Jamel Hill uh, and her ability, even though I think it's wrong. She called President Trump uh, uh, at the time a white supremacist, uh, I think. And I said, man, I think this is really a bad call. But she didn't call him a white supremacist on ESPN's programming. And I, I defended it by saying, hey, the standard should be the same for her or Kurt Schilling, who early on was like, hey, uh, opposed to transgender people being able to use the bathroom of their choice. Like he should have the right to have that opinion. Um, and so when you actually break it down, as long as you're consistently applying rules. But to me, what happened with, with the, the example you're citing? Um, well, two things. One, that's actually ESPN's broadcast network. So when you make a political statement on ESPN, to me, the network itself is endorsing that because they are allowing you to do it at work as opposed to on your own social media platforms, right, that you own, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it might be, right? Um, also, when ESPN runs a one-minute advertorial testament to how brave Leah Thomas is during programming, 
again, that is the network actually taking a stand. So uh, that that to me, using your network, you know, I did four years of uh, of Fox Bet Live on FS1. I never shared a political opinion on it because my job was to give gambling picks and try to entertain people talking about what was going on in sports. I didn't use FS1 Sports Network to you know proselytize my political beliefs. I think anybody should be able to go on uh, things that they control, things that they own, Twitter feeds, et cetera, and say exactly what they think. Yeah, but Clay, it didn't stop your co-host from getting mad at you about your Twitter persona and tweets on that show. So my point on the L. Duncan thing is she may speak out against them on ESPN again if she went out of her way to make this political statement. She certainly might do it on social media or Twitter and I'm just going to be curious to see what ESPN's stance is when that happens. Oh, I think it's a, I think, I, I think it's a great point because, uh, I mean, my perspective would be that ESPN has to acknowledge that their employees have the right to have opinions. I think the difference, and I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit for them, but I think that, in my opinion, based on knowing Sage and Sam Ponder a little bit, I don't know I'm great, but I, I've had private relationships with them in the past, I think they would both say, hey, Anybody who disagrees with us is welcome to their opinion, too. I think that the L. Duncans of the world, what I would call the woke all-stars, they actually don't agree with that. They believe that you shouldn't even be able to have the opposite opinion from them. And that, to me, is the biggest difference between whatever your opinion is right now on the right or the left. The left tolerates far less dissent. Um, in terms of what is acceptable opinion uh, than the right does right now. Well, have we heard behind the scenes what occurred whenever we saw Orlovsky pray on air for DeMar Hamlin? No, I no, I haven't. That's a good point. Um, and, uh, and I have not heard. I mean, Dan Orlovsky used to be a guest back in the day on OutKick before, yeah. uh, before ESPN hired him. And look, I, I think it's important to, to point this out. Like, you know, there are anonymous gripers at ESPN complaining about uh, about my interview with Stephen A. Smith. There's actually a huge number of people, many of whom are on air daily on ESPN, that love everything that OutKick says. Um, you know, they don't feel as comfortable necessarily being outspoken um, about their beliefs um, as uh, as the people on the left do. I think Bill Maher said recently, um, no one's ever been fired for being too woke, right? Uh, and that's what I think is such a well-said example, um, because so true, right? No one has ever been fired for being too woke. Just think about that. And you're like, oh, you know what? I mean, that is accurate. Uh, but a lot of people have been fired for having opinions that are considered to be too right-leaning or too conservative. Clay, so New York public schools are banning Native American mascots uh, for, for their high schools and schools in the state. Um I, I what I don't get about all this is I, I never saw like a tribe's name as the mascot of a school and thought, boy, this is really demeaning Native Americans. And apparently now that somehow has become the thing that it does. What do you make of this story? It's mostly white people deciding that it demeans Native Americans. Um, look, I have said for a long time that I would love to be in charge of negotiating and into all mascot name controversies forever, right? I would love to be the representative of what I would humbly call the sanity team, 
right? Where we sit down and you give me uh, a list of mascots and I go through the list and I'm like, okay, we'll give up these 10. Uh, you agree that these 10 can remain. And let's all just agree that we will never complain about a mascot ever again, right? Let's settle this yes. once and for all. The problem is with that, there is no end when it comes to woke culture, right? There isn't, and this is what I've had to learn, and I think people are just kind of starting to learn it themselves. Sooner or later, you have to stand up and say, no, this is ridiculous, because there's never a point in time where the woke uh, universe out there, the far left wing in this country, the identity-obsessed universe, they never say, okay, you know what? we have solved the mascot controversy. Let's all shake hands. We've resolved it. As soon as you say, okay, we'll give you these 10, they say, okay, but we also need these other 10. And then if you give them those 10, they'll come back and they'll say, well, turns out there's 10 more. And you say, okay, what's really going on here? And what you recognize is, and what I have come to see is they need to be offended because if they aren't, they have no reason to exist. And so they constantly have to find new things. I mean, look, the, the trans thing is a great example of this. I kind of thought naively after gay marriage became legal, I was like, OK, I mean, it feels like we're kind of at the end of progressivism. And what I mean by that is, where do you go from here? And. I, and I would include the trans element there because most people, it seems to me, were fine with, you know, 18, as long as you're an adult, if you decide to change your gender, nobody really cared, right? Like it seemed like it was kind of resolved and not an issue. And then what becomes, unfortunately, the case is inclusion eventually, as it continues to expand, turns into exclusion. And what I mean by that is Leah Thomas took away the NCAA championship of a woman in order for him to be counted as a her, an actual woman lost her ability to compete for a championship. So we moved from, hey, if Leah Thomas, whatever, Will Thomas, whatever you want to call yourself, you can be a chick, you can do whatever, you can live as you see fit and be happy as you want to be. But we move from, hey, I'm fine with that, you do you, to, oh, you have to acknowledge that I'm a woman. You have to now accept a biological lie, and you have to allow me to compete as a woman and exclude actual women from sports competition. Because remember, this is not a story for men who decide to, sorry, women who decide to become men. There's almost none of them that are famous. They can't make the sports teams, right? Like men's athletics is not threatened by women deciding to become men. They aren't bigger, stronger, fast enough. It's only when men who are bigger, stronger, and faster than women decide to identify as women that this becomes an issue. And again, inclusion moves into the realm of exclusion very quickly, and that's where we are today. And then it leads to the mob mentality after the woman Riley Gaines instead of the issue at hand, which is a man biologically competing against a woman. Well, think about the fact that you could be attacked for this. Like this is not a remotely controversial. Not at all. Until like 
three years ago. Like the idea that a dude would decide to identify as a right. woman was actually played for laughs for virtually everybody's life who's listening or watching us right now. And then it was the plot I mean, to Juana Ladybugs. Man, <laughs> I mean, it's been the plot well, to comedy also, movies. Juana Man. Yes. I mean, you know, like a dude pretended to be a woman to play in the WNBA after he got kicked out of the NBA. Right. I mean, that was actually a comedic idea. And, and I mean, honestly, South Park was ahead of it, to their credit, um, satirizing where we were headed because they created a macho man, Randy Savage character <laughs> to identify as a woman and basically go win all women's championships. So this is where we are. Um, and for people out there who say it's not really an issue. Well, I mean, it d- directly happened to Riley Gaines and increasingly. Whatever school district you're in, whatever state you're in, this is going to be an issue eventually, I believe, almost everywhere. Clay, uh, from a, a business perspective, what did the hire of Tony Patetti signal to you for the Big Ten and where we're headed? Well, I, I, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, I think they just wanted a straight business guy. Um, and, and I think in general some of these sports networks are in a challenging environment as cord cutting becomes such a viable attack upon their business. And they have to start thinking about, Hey, what's our streaming future? What's our monetization plan in the years ahead? I see like the dot TV stuff that he was with, with MLB and Chad and I were brainstorming what that could end up being for the big 10. I I'm fascinated to see the, yeah, I mean, I think Fox owns 60%. 60% of the Big Ten network, if I'm not mistaken. I think Fox owns 60% of it. So Fox is going to have to figure that out. Uh, just like all the regional sports networks are struggling right now, just like the SEC network will, there is a monster demand for major college athletics, particularly men's uh, basketball and football, but also uh, increasingly other sports as well. And the business dynamic of the uh, cable and satellite bundle has collapsed and is declining rapidly. And so you need a smart business figure to in some way straddle the two worlds between uh, streaming and, uh, and cable and satellite. Clay Travis joins us weekly at this time. Always a great chat uh, today. Uh, another great example of that and a great chat with Stephen A that you can find online. And while you're on YouTube looking at the the podcast for Stephen A. and Clay. We hope you'll go to OutKick and subscribe to the channel there. Clay, thanks as always, man. We'll catch you up soon. Appreciate y'all having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Clay. See you soon. Clay Travis there. Uh, Yeah, and Chad, I'm like 75% through the the podcast with Stephen A. You're dead on right, though. It's it's, it's the Clay we've always... Doesn't make you like Stephen A. Smith a lot more? And it's the Clay we've always known. Yeah. You know, you and I, like, interacting. But, like, it's... Yes. The conversational uh, aspect of Stephen A. is way different and that's what's so jarring about it yep and he and i love the fact that he's speaking up on it afterwards saying i'm gonna have clay on and i'll have anyone on that wants to join and he said you know get ready because i'm about to have more conservatives on he said today on espn candace owens is going to come on his podcast um well and others so but having the platform to do that yeah and just saying yeah he's one of the few guys that could just do whatever he wants on the side with the power he has at ESPN also. Good for him. Chad, uh, the Oklahoma spring game, uh, an interesting scoring. A lot of these scoring things are crazy, but they've they've got a scoring system that's worth noting. And uh, Von Miller 
It was Odell Beckham Jr. that he was trying to recruit to Buffalo because he did it in L.A. He's after another wide receiver now. That's next on Hotline. Been a fun show. Looking forward to chatting with uh, Trey Wallace and Armando Salguero tomorrow on Hot Mike. In the meantime, if you miss portions of today's show, go to YouTube, subscribe to the channel, and you can find us anytime. And also be notified when we go live each and every day at 3 o'clock Eastern across the Outkick Network. Chad, I understand why college coaches for spring games are trying to manufacture points on the scoreboard, especially whenever it's offense versus defense, and you want to... You want to have a reward for a defense that gets off the field and have it exciting because you want yeah. it to appear high scoring. But there you want to line a, up the scoreboard. There, there comes a point, though, where it's just like, what's the point of putting forth this much effort to come up with rules and a scoring system for spring games? Oklahoma's not the only program doing this, but to think that the fans showing up actually care about how they're going to score this. Is so ridiculous. So you have the offense and the defense, and they're doing a straight split. Red team, white team for Oklahoma. But just knowing that uh, they have to tell fans that a touchdown is six points. Like, thank you. We know that. Um, a turnover well, gives zero points. But again, like, look at the defense. field goal, seven points. Now that is quite the penalty. Well, if on you miss the a kicker, field goal. That's, that's basically uh, the kicker's going to... Yeah, I mean, that's it. a seven, but I'm saying the defensive oh, no. team, you do nothing, that's a seven-point swing when that happens. I just like the idea of people, you like the old-timey baseball fan that would have the scorecard out yes. and they're scoring every single oh, play. You know hey, did you score that an error or hit? What did you get on that? Well, that's an error. That's an official score. And here's the other thing. I could see someone with like their punch card, like a There's... game of bingo, going through all the scores <laughs> and saying, oh, and... on that sack, that's three more points for the red team. Let's mark that down. And I, You know, I loathe the... The, the media that live tweet a game from the press box, like play-by-play, play, Yes, there will be some idiot that tries to live tweet this game and treat it like it's impactful in some way based on this scoring system. Big, big sack there that closed the gap to by, seven points by from, and large, from 10. Right. By and large, it is, uh, it's, it's a mocked and understood like joke, but there will be one. There's always that one. That will live tweet the spring game and try to make it as though most people are pretty jaded. People have a, the especially players media members, and they won't. They'll joke about it, but yeah, there's probably going to be that one truly earnest reporter who actually takes it seriously. Yeah, um, Chad Von Miller's trying to get DeAndre Hopkins to Buffalo. That's a good addition. I, I mean, there. He is going to make a Super Bowl contending team a legitimate challenger in December and January, whenever he's, that team gets He's in. one to watch. The Buffalo, man, some defensive issues, you know, in the, know. In the playoff. Like, there's, there's other things. I don't look at Deion. He's going to help anyone, but I don't look at Hopkins and think, that's the missing link for Buffalo. 
but they've they've been it's a looking, run game, right? They need the run game. That's to me. That's what they're missing. Is it, can Hopkins play running back? Can he play offensive guard hey, and help them get a run game going? That's that's the, what they need more along the same lines. Bijan Robinson is going to make a Super Bowl contending team that much better. He's going to a great team. It may suck to be a running back in the draft. He's the only one actually attending the first round. He's going to end up playing for a legitimate contender. Yep. And watch him go to Buffalo or Kansas City or name the team. One of those teams could trade up to get him. Yeah. Hey, we're back at it tomorrow. Hope you'll join us for Hot Mike right here across the Outkick Network starting at 3 o'clock Eastern.